0: Hi, I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay, the podcast where each week we do a conversational deep dive analysis into a film. Today we are talking about West Side Story, the 2021 film directed by Steven Spielberg, screenplay by Tony Kushner, based on West Side Story by Jerome Robbins, Leonard Bernstein, Stephen Sondheim, and Arthur Lawrence. I'm joined by the Beyond the Screenplay team, Trisha Rand.
1: Hello, everyone. Brian
0: Bittner.
2: Hello, hello. And Alex Calleros. Hi. Michael, I think you mean I think you mean the 2021 movie based on the 1961 movie, based on the 1957 musical, based on the 1597 play, based on the night <laughs> 1562 narrative poem, based on the 16th century Italian novella, I think is is where you're you're going there.
0: Is that not what I said? <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> yeah, I
2: blanked out for a second. Maybe you did.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's confusing. Anyway, um, okay, so we're here. We're going to talk about West Side Story, the Steven Spielberg remake that just came out now, uh, and uh, this is a really interesting film to to talk about and to dive into. So, I my parents were obsessed with West Side Story and. As a child, I remember watching parts of it a lot, like the America number was Mm -hmm. a frequently played uh, section of our VHS tape. Uh, And so I like love that song, feel like I know most of the lyrics. And then a couple other songs, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know that one. But going in to watch this one, I realized that I had forgotten a lot of the story. And so it was kind of fun because... Every scene it'd be like, okay, they're kind of winding up to do something and they're starting to sing, and oh, it's this song. I know all the lyrics now. So it was like this kind of weird continual, uh, like memory lane like, you know, journey that I went on. Um that was like both like fun and surprising, but then also making me be like, but I think I liked the original more like my memory of this is I think a more um pleasurable memory than the experience that i'm having in this moment so i feel like overall i haven't watched the original start to finish in a long time but it kind of felt to me like a remake that maybe didn't need to exist uh and that i makes me want to go back and watch the original again uh i also didn't realize or remember how romeo and juliet this was like <laughs> it's juliet romeo was, and juliet yeah. based <laughs> yeah. on it like I knew it was like yeah it's it's like you know it's kind of like Romeo and Juliet but like in this other setting and then watching it this time I was like oh no it's, it's just Romeo and Juliet mm-hmm. like beat for beat character for character essentially uh, so anyway so watching this movie was really interesting uh, experience I have a lot of thoughts on style and how one does a movie musical uh, especially kind of modern takes on that uh that i want to get into but first i want to hear from you guys about your relationships with this movie and the previous movies and movie or you know all of the iterations that have have come before trisha i feel like you might be the most knowledgeable potentially as far as the original goes so let's let's start with you
1: yeah so i grew up with uh Like musicals in general, and especially like the big prestige 1960s musical, like all of them. So, West Side Story was 1961, um, but like every year of the 1960s, they were making these like huge prestige musicals, most of which were like nominated for Oscars. So, West Side Story is an uh, Oscar winner from 61, but then they made Hello Dolly, they made Oliver, they made The Sound of Music, they made Mary Poppins, they made like All of these were Best Picture winners or nominees. Yeah, The Music Man. Thank you. Yeah, all of these were those big sweeping Hollywood, like but Broadway style movie musical that they made in the nineteen sixties. And they were they were truly the prestige films. I mean, um, there's you know they were kind of like what what were called like roadshow movies, basically where it was a big production to even just go and see the movie. My Fair Lady was another one, right? And they often have like overtures where they just you know like theater style where they just hmm. play like a medley of the the score for you at the overture and then they do the same thing at the Entre act and so i grew up watching those my mom had them all on vhs and you know i was a theater kid growing up too so like all of these movie adaptations of big you know prestige musicals are are really dear to me west side story is a really really good one um and and it was one of the first that was like mega successful um and kind of sp- you know, sort of started the wave of doing these in Hollywood. And so I grew up with it. I've seen also the Broadway show a number of times. Mm. Um, and so I, and also seen it produced at a variety of levels. You know, I've seen it produced in high schools. I've seen it produced at community theaters. And then I've like also seen it produced at really high professional levels. And so, um, I was incredibly excited and also super curious about this remake. I was like, I also adore Spielberg. Um, growing up, he was definitely my favorite filmmaker, and so I was just like, "What are we gonna do? Why is he making a musical now? Is it gonna be good? <laughs> How could it be better than the original? The original is nearly perfect." And like, um, you know, had high hopes, but also just like you know, wild west kind of expectations of like, I don't know what this is gonna be. Um, and overall, I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed. Like. I think this is an amazing and, like, very, uh, just, what's the word I'm looking for? Something like bravado, but just, like, absolutely a a really good showcase of what Spielberg does best, and also a really refreshing and exuberant, like, homage to the original. I think it's really gorgeous, and, like, let's be real— Modern audiences are not going to watch the movie from 1961. Trust me, I've tried to show it to a lot of young people. <laughs> They're not interested in it. Um, and the 1961 movie, while it has a lot of amazing things going for it and and made some changes from the Broadway show that I think I might prefer, and we can dive into those. At the end of the day, it left something to be desired in terms of representation. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. the politest way I can put it. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, the fact that this is seems really committed to representation and committed to diving into the social issues that are at the heart of the story um, is wonderful and was desperately needed. And so I'm really glad overall that we have this film now and that because of it, a lot of like the story is going to keep is going to stay alive and also that the musical is probably going to stay alive. Although Disney, I mean, although this, you know, movie totally bombed and um, (laughs) lost, I don't know. What was it? $200 million. It's a lot of money Mm.
0: um, that this movie lost,
1: (laughs) but it's got a lot of Oscar nominations and we're going into Oscar season. And so even the recognition in the nominations, I think is really meaningful. And, um, hopefully it's enough to maintain. I mean, I think musicals are potentially going to encounter a renaissance anyway, because we've had a few really great ones, um, in the last couple of years. So, but I'm just overall, I'm like, yes, I don't know if it's going to single-handedly bring back the prestige musical, but it's a beautiful adaptation of one of my favorite musicals. And so why would I not be glad to have another one?
0: Nice. Okay. Brian, tell me about your relationship with West Side Story.
2: Uh, Yeah, I remember I I definitely saw the original movie in um, probably middle school um, and liked it then, but I don't know that I saw it more than maybe once, you know, a a trillion years ago. Um, But I did was in the concert choir and we uh, in high school my senior year and we did West Side Story medley. Um, so it was, you know, all the guys singing Maria and all the women singing America and, you know, kind of going back and forth. Aww. And, um, so that, that still, you know, I still remember the, my bass parts. Um, and. <laughs> Thank uh, you for telling
1: I, us which part you sing. I was very curious.
2: Yeah. Were you wondering <laughs> if I was, a uh, yeah, like tenor, alto tenor? Um, but, uh, then, but I think my biggest connection to this story is being a Shakespeare fan and having been, uh, in Romeo and Juliet in college and, in uh, um, production of that, which I'll talk more about when we get to lessons. Uh, but yeah, so as you were saying, Michael, it's just like, it's so Romeo and Juliet. It's just like, yep, OK, there's the so even if I was like, oh, I don't really remember this scene from the original you know, movie or whatever. I'm like, yeah, but I know where we're going. I know I'm like, oh, that's the end of act two in, in Romeo and Juliet. You know, so like I kind of know where we are and I have my bearings. And then it's also interesting to think about the ways where I'm like, well, I know this happens in Romeo and Juliet is this how it goes down in West Side Story or is it right. different? You know, like the ending for for one obviously is like, that would have been a little dark for a for like <laughs> right. a prestige musical. Even darker. Um, yeah. That was yeah. basically my biggest
0: question once I was like, oh, this is just Romeo and Juliet, but what are they going to do with the ending? Yeah. Like, is that really? Yeah. So like you said, that would have been a little bit too dark, I think.
2: Right. Story, you know? So yeah, it was really interesting revisiting actually sitting down and watching some version of West Side Story, which I think I had not done in probably over, over 20 years, uh, even though I have all these like little, little ways into it. You know, I haven't actually sat down and watched production. So uh, yeah, lots of thoughts and uh, excited to get into it.
0: Yeah. Nice. Okay. And Alex.
2: Yeah. Similar to Brian. I can't remember when I
3: last saw the original movie, I think it was sometime in childhood. I maybe saw it once and, you know, I've seen clips you know like clips from america or whatever but i have not watched the whole movie through and through since i was a child so probably most of it was not retained in my memory uh so going in so i saw this movie twice so i the the new one 20, 2021 mm. the first time i went to an i will not name this theater went to a theater that is like a new kind of weird dine-in theater and their speakers uh, had a problem that was very bad for a movie musical, <gasps> which was when singers reached a certain pitch, it would distort. And so my entire first viewing of this movie was anytime, you know, you had like during Maria or tonight or like these big songs, where people get, reach these really, you know, high notes. Uh, I could not stop hearing the speaker distortion. And so my whole oh, first no. viewing was clouded by just like, I want to leave. I don't want to be here. I came with a friend. He doesn't notice. He seems to be enjoying himself. So I can't just like walk out and demand my money back. Anyway, I had a very strange first viewing and I w- wasn't sure how I felt about the movie, but I couldn't tell how much of that was influenced by the technical problems. Anyway, I went to a. I wanted to see it in theaters properly. And so I saw that the Americana brand was playing at 10 30 in the morning this past Sunday. So I walked to the Americana and I sat in the theater by myself at 10 30 in the morning and saw this movie again. And I'll tell you seeing it a second time after just knowing what it is, which to me without very much memory of my, you know, original viewing of the 1960s version, um, seemed very, yeah, very much a, a very straight adaptation. There wasn't an attempt to really modernize this movie, uh, in in like a showy kind of filmmaking way there were obviously modernizations in the casting and in some of the thematic material but um i could feel that spielberg was playing it very straight you know and doing a masterful spielberg job at it but he's not trying to make this 21st century kind of musical this was a very classic movie musical and that was kind of bumping for me on the first viewing along with the technical issues because i was i was having that thought of like well then why did we make this movie like why Mm -hmm. why was all this money spent to do kind of the same thing um but on this viewing now that i knew that's what it was and that was its intention I just so thoroughly enjoyed it because I got Mm -hmm. to I got to watch like a 1960s movie musical with modern actors, with Spielberg, uh, you know, uh, camera movement and cinematography and editing and staging. And I just had a great time. So, you know, it was an it was an interesting experience of once I accepted the, the not newness of it. I really
1: classicness. The, the classicness. classicness.
3: Yeah, <laughs> I really appreciated that it exists because it's like we get to have a classic movie musical with modern technology. And that yeah. is an interesting, fun thing to have. Yeah. So that's where I am right now with the movie is uh, a, a two very different screenings uh, and overall just kind of happy it exists. I don't know if it needed to exist, but I thoroughly enjoyed my second viewing.
0: Nice. Trisha, you you were pointing. Did you have? Yeah, a I think at? that's
1: like ultimately how I feel. Also, where like, listen, I would love to change the state of the movie industry in a variety of ways. Like, there is a lot about where we are that I is like not what I signed up for. <laughs> in so many ways or just like not where i saw us going necessarily because of world events because of technological shifts because of like culture changes like there's just a variety of things that are happening in like what's what kind of movies get made these days and what kind of movies do not and like i would love all day for like theaters to just play the 1961 movie again and for everybody to just flock right over there and see it. But you know what? That's unrealistic. Um, And I also don't think it's fair to ask that of modern audiences because as I said, like our values have changed and and good. Good that our values have changed. (laughs) And so like nobody can rewind the clock. And so I would rather that instead of this like story and this beautiful beautiful, like musical with the music by Bernstein and Sondheim, which is just absolutely incredible. Like instead of this just being lost to time, like then go ahead and remake it. Like, and I feel like it's been long enough that it doesn't feel like a nostalgia, like harvest hack kind of a thing where like something from the eighties or nineties, that's getting remade. There's like a cheapness to it almost, but this has been long enough where it's like, there's so some, something so loving about this homage and this remake and like i said so joyful and playful about it even though you know it, it it's a relatively serious musical right with that deals with real social themes and social problems and so i'm i'm like again it's just like do you want no one to see west side story ever Or do you want them to see this West Side Story and at least know Mm. what it is and at least go around like humming the songs maybe or have a reference point for like this particular adaptation of Romeo and Juliet that I think is worthwhile. Um, And like I said, I think that the songs are phenomenal and the score is so beautiful and everything. And so like, yes, good. Yes, of course. I would rather have this than nothing.
3: And I'll also add just... It's great that there's a showcase for these amazing actors that I wasn't aware of. I mean, Ariana Mm -hmm. DeBose, I want her to be in everything. Rachel Zegler is adorable and wonderful. And uh, David Alvarez, Bernardo was great. I I think there's so many characters and performances and and new actors that I got to discover through this film. It's another reason I'm just happy it exists.
1: Yes.
2: Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting thing because there are so many examples of movies where they try to capture they try to make the movie look like it's from another time um you know and one of the recent ones i can think of is mank where it's like they did certain things where they're like we're going to try to like completely you know do this exactly and then other things were like we're not going to try at all we're going to do this completely modern and we're going to use this aspect ratio and which is like That's fine. You can make whatever choice you want, obviously, right? But this is one of the few times where I've seen a movie where I'm like, man, you nailed it. Like, you really made me feel like I could – you could show me a frame of this movie and I couldn't tell you whether it was from 2021 or a remaster of 1961, you know? Um, And it helps that I only recognize, I think, two of the actors uh, from the movie. So, like, that sort of helps me – my modern brain kind of shut off. But then, yeah, to your point, Tricia, then there's part of me that's going – but we have a movie that looks like it's from 1961 <laughs> of West Side Story. It's from 1961. Um, So it's like a weird choice to say, like, let's try to make this movie look like a thing that already exists. But what we can do, as you were saying, Tricia, we can bring it to modern audiences and we can do, as I think you were saying, Alex, modern filmmaking stuff. Right. We can to have the camera go up and over buildings and stuff, which, you know, you may or may not want, but we can have this theatrical kind of feeling. You know, if you are taking something that's a theater piece and turning it into a movie, what are you using film for, right? And in some ways, this movie is trying to be theatrical by just saying, here is a fire escape, and we're just going to sort of show you the wide and you're going to see all these things happen because we want you to feel immersed in theater world, basically. And then there are other times where we're like, we're going to do with film what not only theater can't do, but a movie from 60 years ago couldn't do. Uh, So it is this weird blend. And and I don't know that it all works for me, but I do appreciate that Spielberg was like, no, I just want to fully commit to making a movie that that looks like it was made in 1961, but in which we can do things that we can do in 2021.
0: You know, sometimes when you're trying to send a massive file, it can feel like you're in a dance fight with the file transfer service. Maybe they cap your file size or throttle the download speed, but not with massive. Massive is a file sharing service that lets media professionals quickly transfer terabytes of data to anyone in the world over the cloud. With Massive, there are no limits to the amount of data you can send, and Massive has 150 servers worldwide, which means whoever you're sending the file to will be able to download it at a maximum unthrottled speed. Transfers are encrypted, so no one but the sender and recipient can access the files. And sending files with Massive is super simple. You don't need a subscription to sign up or a complicated IT setup. Just pay as you go at 25 cents per gigabyte. To learn more and to sign up for massive, head to massive.io slash beyond dash the dash screenplay. When you sign up at that link, you'll get 100 gigabytes free towards your transfer. That's massive.io slash beyond dash the dash screenplay for 100 gigabytes free the link is also in the show notes thanks to massive for sponsoring beyond the screenplay now back to the episode yeah yeah it's all really interesting my heartbeat is racing in the way that it does before i say something contrarian (laughs) Um, go (laughs) go ahead do it and i'm trying to well so so i think it's I think all of this is really interesting and already getting into the kind of stylistic question that was very much at the forefront uh, of my brain when I'm watching it, which was like, yeah, so much of it feeling, as we're saying, like this, you know, very clear homage to 1960s look and feel, but with some modern elements added on to it. And I think for me, those two things clashed more than they helped each other, mm-hmm. where there were moments where it was, uh, yeah, very classical 1960s looking, you know, as you're saying, Brian, there's a you know, wide shot, you see them uh, outside singing to each other. And it's it has all this, you know, the setting is evoking all these emotions and stuff. And then there would be other moments where there was like, we are uh, on a steady cam inside this bedroom, watching these two people sing into their faces at a very familiar distance. Like there was, a, there was a lot of like cinematic techniques that I think are used to make things look more realistic and put us in the space with people. And for me, I find... When that's used in a like musical or when something's kind of trying to be larger than life in its, uh, you know, tone and emotion that it actually makes everything just feel life sized again. And so I kind of felt there was this like from scene to scene or from sequence to sequence. That was kind of going back and forth where some sequences were very imaginative like the the america sequence where you're going all through this neighborhood and there's a lot of kinetic motion and all this stuff is i feel like adding to um yeah kind of the ride and and the ups and downs and the dynamics of the music but then where there are other sequences where it's like shot reverse shot where like this could be a conversation that two people are having except instead they're singing at each other and this, yeah, could very well just be like a personal preference, but I feel like that like breaks the immersion for me when things are shot too realistic, when it's set in too normal of a setting, but people are behaving in a hyper real way. Those two things don't like match for me. And that there's also some of the modernness gets in the way of some of the classicness where I was very distracted by a lot of like green screen or set extensions that made even just them running around their neighborhood look you know fake and you know manipulated in a way that took me out of you know what should be a pretty like familiar grounded setting so i feel like that was i think there were a lot of really interesting ideas happening in the style and in the execution but for me they were often like fighting with one another and kind of mm-hmm. getting in my way instead of amplifying what was happening on screen
1: i do want to say that it sounds to me like part of what you're bumping on or identifying is a little bit of the the sort of ambition of the musical itself which is that it's an adaptation of a huge theatrical Shakespearean unrealistic story right of like <laughs> love and murder and feuds and um and that the general approach to the material is to try to ground that in a very serious real world like gritty essentially way in New York City where you know gang warfare is and was a problem and where there racism is and was a problem and like there's there's a very real like texture to the uh issues at play um that kind of contrasts with like the theatrical and cinematic material, right? And so, like, it's obviously heightened sort of melodrama in terms of plot, but in terms of approach, it's attempting to be sort of grounded. At the same time, it's a musical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in the staging, in, in going back even to the Broadway show, but especially also in the 1961 musical. It's like, we're going to use, like, these huge sweeping cinematic, like, we're going to build enormous sets and, like, do these, like, really big brightly colored costumes and, like, massive dance numbers and everything. And we're going to snap while we fight. And, like, that kind of stuff, there's no reason why it should hold together. And I think it's been bumpy for people Across the ages, like a lot of the things I think that you're identifying are like okay to bump on because it's a mashup, and it's always been kind of a mashup, right? It's Shakespeare, but it's even back then was dealing with a contemporary social issue in like a somewhat grounded way, while also being a musical <laughs> um you know, with a huge sweeping score. and so it's just like, well there's too- there's still a lot to be handling here.
2: I mean, we also just have to recognize that like musicals are ridiculous, right? Like, of course, and like that's my point. the idea yeah. of a musical is ridiculous, yes. where like characters are are having a conversation, and then suddenly one of them starts singing, you know. And and I think that like the stage musical has existed long before film has existed, so any any musical film is. A sort of perversion of what this medium is in the first place. We are taking this thing that was intended to be watched by audiences on a stage where they can sort of applaud and it's like you're watching a concert and a play at the same time. Now we are filming that and we have established what a movie is and what movies do. But now we need you to sort of have your movie brain on but also your musical brain on, right? right? So it's kind of like what you were saying, Michael, is that these, I I think just in general, the idea of a musical movie clashes, uh, like it's already kind of a clash of things. So you can either do a Moulin Rouge where you're like, look, let's let's go nuts with cinema and like, let's do something you could never do in the theater. Or you could say, let's try to make this as grounded as possible. Um, You know, I've mentioned before Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which is a musical where, the first several songs are songs because the main character has written songs about her life and she is singing them with her band so then in the second half of the movie when the music when the music becomes non-diegetic it sort of feels earned because the movie has sort of like led you into that. Um, and then you have everywhere in between, right? And I still feel like we have not, we've not sort of like agreed upon what a movie musical should be. <laughs> you get, you know, and even this year, we've had Annette and Tick, Tick, Boom and In the Heights and West Side Story. And they all deal with this in very, very different ways. Some of them are winking right at the camera. Some of them are trying to be grounded. Some of them kind of haven't found their footing. Uh, so it's just, it's just interesting to see how any movie musical deals with the fact that that it's a musical and that's just a silly thing
1: yeah and and two reference points come to mind for this uh in the 21st century which are chicago which was a best picture Mm. winner um and a musical but put all of the songs inside like a this is happening in her head construction Mm -hmm. right where it was Mm. like actually intercutting Like, here's the staged version of the musical number. Here's, like, what's happening in real life while this musical number is happening inside the head of the main character. So that's how Chicago kind of navigated it. Hairspray is another one that was also in the 21st century, I think from 05, 06. And that one handled it because it was like, well, here, they're on a, a singing and dancing daytime TV show. And so, like, a lot of, like, the whole plot is can this person dance or not? Um, or can they sing or and perform or not, right? Like it's a sort of a performance-based thing. And and to your point, like modern musicals tend to be about or there's usually some kind of like, well, this person is a singer. Um, or this person is in this this field or whatever. And so they kind of are handling it in a trying to deal with the silliness in a more grounded way. And and this is, you know, this approach to West Side story is straight, classic, big Broadway. We're gonna do Broadway, we're just gonna point a camera at it.
3: What's interesting thinking about this adaptation in particular, and thinking to the 1961 version, you know, one thing that I was remembering hearing you guys talk about it was how you know there were fights that were just like ballet fights, right? Like yeah. they, they like yeah. didn't touch each other; they just like balleted at each other. And I think <laughs> that is something that's hard for a modern audience to watch. Like, sure. like I think if I tried to make you know my husband watch a version of West Side Story. I would definitely have to do the twenty twenty one version he still would not be happy about it because he doesn't like musicals, but it would at least like not cross like these like boundaries that I think the original probably crosses because of the time you know you can accept like ballet fighting uh in on screen but I think there's something about this updated version where fighting is actual physical fighting and you see mm-hmm. real violence happening that just i think just jives more with a modern expectation of what like a movie mus- musical even is and i think what's interesting about uh the, the kind of gray zone we're talking about where you're both doing things like having real grounded serious like fight scenes that are actual like what you'd, what you'd see in any other film in the same movie as uh a romeo and juliet love story that is so improbable and so crazy at some points like maria's brother is murdered by tony and on the same night he comes into her room and they sleep together and she's gonna run run like like that timeline just does not like compute in Mm -hmm. in a movie that is otherwise telling you this is a real situation with real stakes and like real physics and like everything here is grounded besides the singing at each other and so there's there's kind of just a source material problem there where it, right. it's all the way back to Romeo and Juliet you know where it's like this is like uh, an archetypal first love story that's not even really real uh with it like it, you can't really conceive of this happening to real people in a real context in like even the 20th century um and yet this is the story we're telling um and then I I know what you mean Michael where there there's you know, I think I really like the apartment setting. I like the apartment setting where Maria and Anita and Bernardo live. But when you're kind of in that confined space and going into the, like, what's the song called that night, you know, after
1: it's like a boy like that, where a boy like, like that. Yeah. yeah.
3: Like that's a really powerful song and huge emotions. And, you know, just like a plus, you know, performances from both, both those actresses. But they're stuck in this small space with each other and it does feel kind of claustrophobic and we're not given the scope of the stage you'd want like for this moment. It's, it's, we're just kind of up in their faces in these really small rooms. And, and I think that that song doesn't land the way I want it to because yeah, I do want to be in a big auditorium where it's just the two of them on a huge stage owning it and and that's that's what it's meant for and instead we're like in a tiny apartment in tiny rooms and they're belting at each other from like inches apart and that that is a <laughs> that's a tricky thing
0: <laughs> yeah well yeah like it it's it's a cinematic language thing right that yeah. we're kind of talking about and i think as you pointed out Brian we haven't really settled on what is the language for this kind sure. of weird abstract thing and i think another reason why i kept going back to romeo and juliet is via Moulin Rouge because I was thinking obviously about Moulin Rouge a lot and then think about Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, uh, which is also insane and, uh, you know, uses the Baz Luhrmann cinematic language of 20 edits per second (laughs) and whip pans (laughs) and music bombardment. You don't know what's happening. Like, I really want to like go back and watch that movie and talk about that movie because it's just, it's insane. But I was thinking especially about like, Uh, You know, in that, you know, after uh, Romeo, you know, when Romeo is going to seek out revenge and ends up killing Tybalt, right? That's who he kills. Mm -hmm. Right. Mercutio dead. Yeah. (laughs) It's like in the movie, it's just like, you know, a cacophony of like music. Like swells, and then suddenly it's a cut to the most extreme close up you could possibly have of Leonardo DiCaprio's face. Everything's blue, there's like water flying off of him, and he's just yelling because he's in a car and he's just finished pursuing Tybalt. And it just like crescendos into like bang, 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 and now it's over. And it happens almost too fast, but I feel like it captures the emotion of like, I'm not even thinking, I'm moving without reason you know time to let reason affect anything and so you're along with that crazy beat of the story and so i think that's yeah just another interesting thing when you are grounding something is like if there's too much room for reason to creep in especially with a story like this as you're saying alex like that can reduce the power of some of it and i was also thinking about chicago as kind of like the other end of the spectrum where as you were saying trisha it's like it's what's happening in people's heads. Like, it's leaning into the idea of like, we're using these musical numbers to convey, you know, the emotion and the stakes of what's happening kind of subjectively for these people. And just going away from reality for a little bit onto kind of like a simulated stage setting, like, does buy you the freedom to either, yeah, do the big, wide epic, you're on a stage and there's a spotlight kind of shot, or like camera dollies and whip pants and cool, you know, the cell block tango where yeah. they're yep. all kinds of like fun. Mm-hmm. So I I feel like those are kind of I like both of those ends of the spectrum. And it is hard, as we're saying, when you're kind of doing this kind of in in the middle thing where some of the cinematic language is clashing with some of the other cinematic language. And it's not that any one piece is bad necessarily. It's just it can get in get in the way of each other sometimes.
1: I will say, though, that some of the sequences in this movie that I think are excellent are the ones when they're like really filming like that are not just between two people but like the america sequence the mambo at the dance is really phenomenal and some of these really big ones where it's just like there is a staging to the setting as well as to like the action of what's happening that is huge and broad and really utilizes like That's what Spielberg does, like, really, I mean, he does all of this, I think, really well, actually, Um, but I think that's where he shines, Um, and not just in lens flares, although there are a few, (laughs) but, like, I think those huge, like, uh, you know, the one take at the dance is something we can talk about that like long oneer that leads into the dance sequence um when they go into the gymnasium but but those few and even the opening number with the jets which i really like also but the ones that are out in the streets that have all this movement to them where there's and and there are lots of people on screen I think it captures that, like, exciting feeling of watching a Broadway show and seeing something that is staged and big. And, like, it isn't asking you to buy at those moments. It isn't asking you to buy into the groundedness. It's essentially showing you a big Broadway set and essentially, like, stepping the camera back and just showing you, like... And we're just going to show you some really cool dancing and singing right now. And it's also going to tell you a little story or like a little piece of this story. And so I think all of that is incredibly like, I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say cinematic. But what I mean is just entertaining. Like, it's just really entertaining to watch these very talented young actors and dancers and Amazing singers. Amazing dancers. Ooh, mm. the dancing is hot. It's great. Like, and I think it, that's when this movie is, like, at its absolute best. I feel like we've had some movie musicals that that don't have the dancing and, like, don't shoot the dancing. Even if they have the dancing, mm-hmm. they don't shoot the dancing to its greatest effect. And this movie really knows how to do it in this big
3: And also, don't necessarily yeah. cast stage actors or stage performers. Yep. You know, which mm-hmm. a lot of the, you know, the big, big uh, names in this one are stage performers.
1: Exactly.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean I think especially if you are, you know, musical can mean lots of things, you know, like yep. Tick Tick Boom is a very different kind of musical than in The Heights or West Side Story, but um but if you are trying to do a traditional musical, in this case you are literally taking a traditional musical and remaking it, then yeah, we want to see A bunch of people in frame at once, all dancing, all coordinated, you know, we don't want it to be cut like a Ridley Scott action sequence where we're cutting on every beat and we have no idea what's going on. It's like, no, we want we want to see that you actually Did the thing that we would expect to see if we went and saw this in a theater, you know, on stage, which is that like, yes, you all you all you all the actors are together. They are all dancing. They're all dancing together, which that sounds obvious. But obviously, there are plenty of movies that are like, we don't need to do that. We can just film things separately or we can mash everything together. And I think that that's something i always love. Obviously we don't want movies to be just like long takes all day because then why is it even a movie, right? There's not you're not doing cinema there. But one thing i do love is when longer takes or wider shots are showing me what is actually there, you know, whether it's as far back as like a Chaplin or Keaton movie or whether it's something like Children of Men or or you know, West Side Story where it's like you are just genuinely filming a scene for a minute or two with no cuts because that's what the actors were actually doing. And I think that's, that's always really cool.
1: Yeah. The, the prestige musical, the whole idea of it, and even going back further into like, you know, the Gene Kelly kind of musicals um, and like Fred Astaire and Ginger Roger musicals, it was like, let's just knock you over with some talent. Like let's just show you an actor who's a triple threat who can sing and dance and act and really give you all of it. And I feel like we don't get that very much anymore. And I like, it was astounding to me, like some of this young cast, as you were pointing out earlier, Alex, just they're so they're radiant. They're incredible.
3: Well, and it's interesting because yeah, there are those scenes that stand out as just being, you know, as big as the big stage, like the America sequence when they're in that, you know, intersection, it's just what a you know, glorious yes. just set and moment and dance, uh, choreography, everything. But then, you know, one of my favorite sequences is actually the Officer Krupke scene. Uh,
1: oh, yeah. Scene.
3: Mm-hmm. Because that, that felt like a very Spielberg-Woner kind of scene. You know, a scene with multiple characters in a room, kind of moving around each other. But the way it was staged and just the, all the different little set pieces within the set piece... It it was just such a smooth Spielberg ride. And I just had such a good time in that scene. And that, that felt to me like a Spielberg scene in a way that maybe other scenes could have just been in another classic movie musical. I felt Spielberg's touch in that scene in particular. And that is a scene that is in a confined space that is close like that apartment. But it felt like he used the space in a very theatrical and just slick perfectly choreographed way where the camera and the actors and their manipulation of the set was all in perfect sync um and that's part of what my delight was in the second viewing was just appreciating just the kind of sleek Spielberg perfection of uh, we're gonna do a movie musical set piece in this courtroom and we're just gonna make the hell out of it and maybe it's not a 21st century modern original vision of what a musical should be, but maybe it's just the best possible execution of a 1960s musical. And Mm. maybe that's okay.
1: Yeah,
0: it is. Yeah. it's, It's interesting because I, yeah. So, so Trisha, you were just talking about old musicals and Gene Kelly musicals. I was thinking about singing in the rain as, as an example of a movie that does kind of everything that you're saying of these are people that have talent and we're going to point the camera at them and let them do their thing like you were saying brian about these long takes but it's also like it's using the camera creatively to like accentuate what they're doing and it's moving along with them or reframing you know i'm thinking about when they're uh, up all night i forget the name of that song but they're good like, good morning good morning great good morning good morning um <laughs> And they're, like, jumping on the couch and then, like, down and there's, like, all these levels uh-huh. and the camera's kind of reframing and, like, is part of the dance with them. Yeah. And I feel like that's another way to to do things. And, and I agree that I think that this movie, West Side Story, is at its best when it is doing those things. And it feels like the camera's part of the dance with them and part of the performance. Because I think that is something that is you know, as as we've been saying, if you're going to take a thing that was meant for stage and just point a camera at it, it's not going to translate, but like use film to bring us into that performance and be part of the performance with them. And I think the Officer Krebke sequence is, is doing that and is playing with, you know, all the choreography knows where the camera's at and is playing yes. for the camera for that moment. And after watching this one, I went back and watched... Um America again from from the original, oh, yeah just to like see how they shot it, and it reminded me of Lagan, which is a Bollywood movie that's the only one that I've seen a sequence from um <laughs> uh, because I took a music of India class in college, and we watched that scene a lot for some reason, but it's great there's this like uh the there's several great numbers, but basically the filmmaking in it was long shots, both in terms of duration and you know not like wide angles but like cameras far away zoomed in so there's still like a a flat feeling visually but it's still framed so you can see everybody and i feel like that gives you it kind of creates a almost like a painting or flat surface where people when people move the way they interact and like travel up and down the frame it like accentuates so much of the movement and you can really play with the blocking and where people are in the frame and stuff like that. And I was noticing a lot of that in the original West Side Story and in that America sequence of like putting the camera somewhere, having it framed such that like, it's the exact right frame to capture all this movement and move with them. And uh, yeah, so anyway, I feel like, Now I just want there to be a lot more movie musicals that just, like, try all these different things and, like, keep remixing them. And I'm, like, kind of getting jazzed about this idea. So I think I'm coming around to, like, this movie should exist and there should be more of them. Yes. Let's just let everyone make a a West Side Story and see what happens (laughs) from that.
2: I want everyone to make a Star Wars, so why not? Yeah. (laughs)
0: If you're in the mood for another great 1960s movie with wonderful musical numbers, look no further than... The producers a true phenomenon first inspiring a broadway musical then later a film adaptation of said musical the producers exceeds its own hype a perfect turn from oscar-nominated gene wilder and mel brooks's oscar-winning screenplay certify this cult classic as one of the funniest films of all time that is the review from movie a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe including the producers. Every day, movie premieres a new film. From brand new work by emerging filmmakers to modern masterpieces from today's greatest icons, there is always something new to discover. With movie each and every film is hand selected. It's like your own personal film festival streaming anytime, anywhere. To try movie free for 30 days, simply click on the link in the show notes, or if you're watching on YouTube, click the pop-up in the top right of the screen. Or simply head to Mubi.com slash beyond the screenplay. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash beyond the screenplay for a whole month of great cinema for free. Thanks to Mubi for sponsoring Beyond the Screenplay.
1: Well, in a second, I want to... I want to talk a little bit about the actual, like, text of the script and, like, the characters and stuff. But really quickly before that, one thing I was thinking about this time around was Jurassic Park. And so I was recently re-watching Jurassic Park and I was struck by – I've seen it, like, a million times because it's my favorite movie. But the most recent time I was watching it, I was, like, counting the number of dolly shots, like, dollies and, like, just both, like, sideways, like, tracking and then, like, also pushes in – um, And it's so many in Jurassic Park, like it's so many. And a lot of them are just in like dialogue scenes where just like everyone's sitting around in the control room and they're just like talking about how the tour is going or whatever in Jurassic Park. And the camera's dollying. It's like it dollies over to Nedry and then it like dollies back in on him and then it dollies over to Samuel L. Jackson over there, Mr. Arnold. And... I was thinking about Spielberg's dollies and uh, and how how good he is at them. How like you really don't notice them so much of the time. And because they're often like either slowly paced enough or they're like they're accentuating the storytelling in such a way that they're conveying emotion and like working with the actors performances. And I think that west side story is like i can't remember i'm sorry i i'm not i'm not trying to disparage any of his recent films i'm sure they have plenty of good dollies in them um (laughs) i haven't rewatched any of of his recent movies uh you know in sort of like the post variety of of spielberg movie from the the latter 21st century but this movie really struck me with all of the dolly movements again where it's like Spielberg is like pulling out to let us see something that we really want to see that was slightly beyond the edges of the frame before. At the same time, we're probably still watching like Anita or Bernardo or whoever's in the middle of the frame, but we're just starting to appreciate what's on the edges. Or he's like, dollying up like around the room potentially where it's like we were seeing what's happening over here with the the sharks and now we're gonna dolly this way around and we're gonna see what's happening with the jets on this side of the gymnasium or he's like zooming in on something and again it's doing visual storytelling just by directing our attention with what the dolly is like you know like um focusing us on and That's, I think, what's so masterful about some of those big sequences to me is like not only does the dolly do the storytelling, the emotional storytelling, but it also is doing this like momentum and movement thing. And so it's conveying emotion. And at the same time, it's conveying like energy. And I think that's why this movie, although it is very long, at least in its musical numbers, feels very zippy. Like it feels very tight, I will say, I don't think that's also true for the dialogue scenes, which is maybe when we can <laughs> we can uh sort of transition into talking about some of the dialogue scenes, but especially in its musical numbers, it feels it never feels static, it always feels like it's alive.
3: I think that's what you're pointing to, Trisha is just when I mentioned, oh, this feels slick or this feels like I'm in good hands. It's that kind of filmmaking where you know he has these almost like unconscious uh, movements with the camera where you don't even pick up on them because it feels so obviously natural for the camera to be moving that way because of the actor's movement or because of some choreography or just the emotion. It feels
1: like the way your head would move or your gaze would just naturally move.
2: Yeah. It's
3: like, it just feels right. And so you're not bumped out of the film and you're just, you're in good hands. And I think that is still the Spielberg thing that he's showing. He can still just do so well, it may not be new, it may not be like the freshest take on a thing, but damn, it is—it's a good smooth ride, and I really yeah. appreciate that because you feel it when you don't have it, and that's where you start to notice things you're really not supposed to notice because you're not in that on, on in those good hands on that smooth ride.
2: Yeah, I definitely noticed uh, a lot of Spielberg wonders in this, and it—you know—sort of it's interesting because what it's basically trying to do is say we want this scene to be framed like this right now. And we want it to be framed like this right now, right? Because of whatever we're trying to do, whoever we're trying to focus on that kind of thing. But instead of cutting, we are going to gently move from one to the other, you know? And I think that, that, that can be good or bad depending on, what it does to your attention. Because I think if you cut from one scene to another, then the audience's brain needs to go, okay, wait, where are we now? We're in this part of the room. And now I'm looking at this. And you know, normally that happens in, in a nanosecond, but it still is like a, a transition. Whereas if you are slowly moving, then the audience doesn't have to think about any cuts, they're just watching. But are you then now calling attention to the fact that that the camera's moving and it's doing this thing like the scene where the lieutenant where Corey Stahl's character is sort of interrogating you know Anita like the 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 camera was doing these beautiful moves and where it was like oh this framing is great and now it's moving and and we haven't cut it all but then I was like but I haven't listened to the dialogue because now I was just watching what the camera was doing so I think it's like it's a really cool tool to use uh, but it can be overused uh, depending on you know depending on what you're trying to go for.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, where like you can get all into like motivated camera moves versus Mm, unmotivated camera moves Where like, you know, usually if you're going to pan from here to there, something in the scene is moving from here to there so that we can be following it. Because if there isn't, you know, a reason for the camera to be moving, that can like really take people out, kind of like you're saying. Um, and you can also use that tool on purpose as we talked about in Punch Drunk Love Mm -hmm. where there are these moments there where Mm -hmm. there are unmotivated at least in the classical sense unmotivated camera moves and that says something about stuff so yeah there's a whole there's also like cameras have to pan at a certain rate because there's like a judder that happens if you're going too (laughs) Uh slow or too it's like movies be crazy man
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes well I want to hear from you guys um none of you being as familiar I assume as I am with the text of the original Broadway show and or the 61 musical. I want to especially talk about the dialogue scenes and how you guys felt when you were watching them, particularly in the first act and in the first half of the second act, cuz that's where the bulk of the dialogue work was done um by Tony Kushner. Like so the original script by Ernest Lehman definitely had Brief dialogue scenes uh, connecting a lot of those early uh, early song and musical sequences, and so I I want to know what you guys think about sort of the character development and sort of the like overall like story structure of this as conveyed in the sequences that are not necessarily musical.
0: I really liked them, and especially as you're pointing out, kind of the the first half of the movie. I feel like I was really into that. And even though I wasn't exactly sure that that was a new element, it it was feeling like something that I wasn't familiar with from the original. So I was like, oh, this is interesting. And a lot of it is kind of spent on character development and kind of rounding out the world of this place and kind of making me um, yeah, understand it and invest in the world in a way that I was really liking. I think it then got in the way for me later in the movie when there was less of that. And especially kind of like in the last... 45 minutes I feel like it's pretty much just like song momentum and there isn't a whole lot of stop and scenes and stuff so I feel like it almost set me up for a different experience than I ended up having but I was uh enjoying those scenes and I thought those additions were interesting and adding kind of this other texture to the story that uh yeah felt fresh and that I was I was pretty into yeah, what about you guys? Well, one
3: thing we haven't even mentioned yet was the choice not to subtitle uh, the Spanish dialogue. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that was part of what was also really kind of just fun on my second viewing where I wasn't annoyed by the speaker quality, which is getting to like hear just the momentum and like just the energy in those just kind of like comfortable domestic scenes where people are kind of moving fluidly between languages. And uh, there's just there was almost like a melodic, quality to the dialogue in in a lot of those like settings and kind of like almost like, yeah, like an Aaron Sorkin rapidity to it, that that was really enjoyable. So I did enjoy the, the kind of musicality sometimes of, of the dialogue scenes and just how it had the same momentum almost as a musical number at times, um, but was making for much more well-rounded characters, much more three-dimensionality than if it was just, the set piece songs with like a little bit of connecting thread between them. Right um, so yeah, so I I don't know the original well enough to compare, but I I do I do feel like I appreciated a lot of the stuff between the musical set pieces in those first couple acts.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't have many thoughts about the dialogue. Like I didn't really notice it in any good or bad way and that's a good thing like it just yeah. felt sort of like it fit with everything and that, that's a good sign and maybe every once in a while i'm like oh that feels like modern dialogue or that feels like old-timey dialogue but like not enough to, to be able to remember anything but i do love when movies put sort of non-subtitled uh, uh you know foreign language dialogue in their movie because it makes me feel like there's a um there's a confidence there, and it makes me feel comfortable that that it's like, oh, you are going to make sure I get the information I need. I don't need to know exactly what these words are. And I, I do speak quite a bit of Spanish, so I was able to understand a lot of what was being said. But regardless, um, it's like, you no, know, no, the movie is telling me you don't need to know exactly what they're saying. We will explain in a second, or you know enough about the situation to know what is being communicated, even if you don't know what the words mean. The only thing that bumped on a little bit was how many times they had to say, no, no, speak English. Uh-huh. You have to speak English. Like the first time they did it, I was like, okay, they're establishing why these characters speak English. That's fine. And then they had to do it a million times. And I was like, eh, that's a little much. Uh, but again, it did, it did, as you were saying, Alex, like it did give it a musicality and a, and a, and a fluidity. Um, because I, you know, I have m- m- multiple friends who are, you know, uh, came in from other countries and I hear them speaking to their parents on the phone and they, they, they go in and out of, you know, the, their home language and and English and stuff like that's just a natural thing that we do, especially when you are living in America, and you've been here for many years, but with people who are from a different country, like that's just a completely normal thing that happens. So I think that I did appreciate that it felt very organic in that way.
1: Yeah, that's, that's really good to hear. I bumped on a few of those scenes in the especially in the first act, because I think I thought that the first time I watched it, so like you, Alex, I went ahead and watched it twice before this podcast. And the first time I watched it, I I thought to myself, like, wow, they're really trying hard to, like, do some exposition here. Like, mm. the scene between Tony and Riff when they're in the basement at docks and they're stocking shelves, and he's like... I had to go upstate and like I had to go think about what I did to that kid and like what I almost did and like I don't know about myself anymore, Riff. And he's like, but you've always been there for me since we were little kids. And I was like, Okay, well, this is expository dialogue. And the same thing with the scene right after that, which is which is Tony and um, you know, Rita Marino's character, uh, who is Doc's widow in this uh in this movie. So I was, and she's like, I've known you too since you were running around. I'm like, you have this promise in you, Tony. There's like something special about you, but Riff, Riff has, Riff's no good. And I was just like, okay, well, okay. Well, there's, they are providing, I think, important background for the characters. I think the choice to make, so in the original Broadway musical and in the 1961 version, Tony has no real motivation for wanting to not be in the Jets anymore. He never went to prison. He never beat up anybody. Um, As far as we know, he just kind of outgrew it. And he's like, nah, I'm doing something else now. I think the choice to have him have this dark past and like have a real reason to like want to turn over a new leaf. Great. Inspired. Um, I love the choice to have there be like an interracial couple that has been in the neighborhood already and he has a relationship with valentina now and like great beautiful it is that's beautiful it's the right choice the same thing with bernardo bernardo didn't used to have like he wasn't a boxer and like he none of this was information we had he and anita didn't even have last names um sorry he and um Maria didn't even have a last name in any of the previous versions. And now they're like real people and we understand what their story is. I think it is really good to add those things in. In a traditional movie, you would show us those things instead of telling them in dialogue. Mm-hmm. Right? Where like we would get a scene with Tony and his parole officer and the parole parole officer would be like, remember, no going out, Tony. And would be like, you know, you know, hinting hinting to us gently, ever so gently in the subtext about Tony's previous crime. And then we would see Tony really wrestling with himself of like, oh no, I gotta take this to heart. And then we wouldn't need to hear him tell Riff why he's not going to the dance because we would have seen that his parole officer told him not to. So, you know, in a, they're very dialogue heavy expository scenes in the first half of this movie. Um, even though the information that they convey, I think is a really good call. But upon watching it the second time, I feel like if you add in a bunch of those little scenes where you're showing us these things, right? Showing us Bernardo at a fight maybe, or you're, you know, showing us a little scene with Valentina and like, you know, something to do with Doc where she's, I don't know. But if you're showing us those things like you would do in in a traditional movie, then you are making it feel less like a musical, right? Because a musical doesn't have short scenes. A musical has long scenes because you don't want to change the set a million times in between every little tiny thing. And so ultimately I think this is probably the right call, but it does make this movie awfully long. (laughs) And if you're (laughs) already very familiar with the story, you're kind of like, well, I know the next song that's coming up, but. I've now waited five minutes and we're not to it yet.
3: <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. I felt like I thought what you're talking about in in those early scenes uh, in docs, especially, um, mm-hmm. you know, between Riff and Tony, it's it just a long scene down there in the basement covering a lot of like topics. And it's very snappy history. dialogue. Yeah.
1: Well performed. It's the
3: best you can do if you're going to try to get all that across in one scene. Yeah. Um. But then it's followed by another one of those musical numbers that kind of Falls in the same trap as like the apartment musical numbers, which is it's not very fun to watch Tony just kind of like meander around the store for like a while, singing not the most amazing song in the <gasps> picture. I don't I mean, maybe sorry, <laughs> not my favorite. Uh, Fair. and 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 it just it, it does feel like that whole sequence was a a hump for me to get over especially my first viewing i was like okay this is gonna be a long slog (laughs) this we're gonna it's gonna be a while before we get to america we're talking 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 we're in this little set in the store and it's it's not much happening in the way of choreography it's it's staged fine but now he's closing the window gate i guess that was the action he had to take for that whole song so yeah i definitely felt that and i felt like there needed to be some movification (laughs) of that sequence in particular that mm-hmm. was not happening.
2: Yeah, I mean, that leads me to the last thing I wanted to talk about, which is sort of, you know, when you ha- when you are adapting a-, a musical or a play or anything to a movie, you are turning it into a movie. And movies have a certain expectation, whether it's, you know, Thor Ragnarok or Clerks or Seven or West Side Story. These are all movies that all are like, broken into acts that are broken into scenes and like what is any given scene in a movie doing so if it's an action movie an act a chase sequence that's a scene right like that it should have a beginning middle and end it should have a story to it if it's a musical number um the the, the, that musical number is a scene so like what is a scene supposed to do in a movie and it was at Uh, Better people than than I have made lists of what scenes should do, but I was just sort of thinking off the top of my head. I was like, well, moving the plot forward for one, most scenes, you know, from point A to point B, something should have changed. Uh, Do character work or expository work, you know, kind of tell us something about about the world and these characters. Um, Explore the theme. Get us to think about what we're actually – why the hell we're here, what we're talking about, right? And then – entertain like movies are entertainment you know like like they are there to make you hopefully have a good time or or have experience some sort of emotion um and the 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 sort of screenwriting 101 lesson is movies should do you know scenes should do more than one of those things at any given time right it can do just one of those things and sometimes that's fine but generally speaking it should do more than one of those things. And I think that in, I think one reason I'm not always crazy about musicals is so often the musical numbers are just there to entertain. It's like, Four minutes ago, I knew you met a girl and you liked her. <laughs> Four minutes later, <laughs> and, yep, you're still telling me you just met a girl named Maria. I and love you're, that
1: song. Don't you dare. So sort do of, I.
2: The song is great, but <laughs> it's a beautiful. Song. I'm not talking about that song. I'm sure. talking about that scene. scene in a movie. Right. Sure. right. Um, and that's the difference, right? I, I, there are many songs I love that I don't want to see a character sing in a movie. For no reason, not for no reason, but, you know, where it's not actually doing anything. else. And I think there are plenty of action scenes where the there's just characters punching each other for no reason. And, you know, like and it's just we haven't really achieved much or every the only thing we were trying to achieve it took seven minutes to get there. Right. You know, so it's like, okay, I was entertained, but good God, you took a long time to get there. We talked about this little matrix revolutions. But again, if you are entertained, great, you're entertained. But if you're not, then you're just kind of waiting for the the thing to continue. So I think that traditional musicals can have that problem. And as you're saying, Tricia, now we're taking this traditional musical and we're adding dialogue scenes and that dialogue scene is only doing expository work. Meanwhile, over here, we have a song that's only doing entertainment right. work. So you end up with an individual scene that's great and an individual song that's great, but a three-hour movie that starts to feel uh, like a bit, little bit of a slog once you hit you know the two-hour mark. But
1: now you're going to talk about the song Cool in this movie, which does do more than one thing at one time mm-hmm. and is incredibly entertaining while doing story and character work.
0: Yeah, that might be one of my favorite sequences. And that was changed quite a
1: bit from the original, right?
3: Because that used to be after Riff's death.
1: So in the Broadway show, it's actually before the rumble. And it's like Tony telling everybody to be cool before they go to the meeting or something. Or Riff telling everybody to be cool before they go to the meeting. That's in the Broadway show. In the 1961 musical, it's famously after the rumble. And it's Ice, one of the other Jets, telling the Jets to be cool and, like, not act out after the murder. This is a totally new interpretation of that song. And I think it's a really, really smart one where it's creating, it's helping us, like, track with that character arc that we're feeling or the relationship arc between Tony and Riff. And at the same time, it's doing, like, yeah, it's doing plot work where it's, like, what's going to happen with the gun? Mm -hmm. Um, What's going to happen leading up to the rumble? And it's doing the character work, it's also very entertaining and well choreographed.
2: Right. In a perfect world, the like somehow Tony Kushner would figure out how to how to do that with every song and every like expository that that's impossible, right? We don't, we don't want to hear about Tony's, we don't want to see visuals about Tony's backstory while we're hearing him sing Maria, because that makes no sense. Right. Like, so you have to have those be two separate things, but now they are two separate things. They're making your movie longer. But yeah, I think, I think modern, you know, in the Heights is a good example, like where more often than not, you are getting musical numbers that are doing, more plot things and more expository things and kind of, you know, filling those gaps. But again, when you are looking at older musicals, that was not the intention because, again, they weren't even made for film. They were made for people to go and sit and watch singing and dancing, right? So it's like it wasn't quite as, mm-hmm. as you know, needed there. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not saying... All musicals have this problem, or, or you know, all traditional musicals have this problem. I'm saying it's a problem that that I have with many musicals, <laughs> where I find that that like, oh, the song isn't actually doing anything other than like being being entertaining to watch, and I'm fine with that. But at a certain point, like I've been here for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, <laughs> lessons.
1: Wow. Sure. Wow, what yeah. a segue.
2: Yeah. Okay, cool.
0: Let's uh, go around and say what lessons we're going to take away from West Side Story. Alex, what lesson are you going to take away from West Side Story?
3: Yeah, my lesson is just the simple lesson of, you know, know what your intention is, uh, what your goal is for a movie and just do that. And I think Spielberg was like, I'm going to remake West Side Story, but I'm going to just do it straight, you know, like, and, and and he did have ambitions where he did want to be really conscious with the casting and cast incredibly talented performers who could actually sing and dance who were actually the ethnicity of their characters like that it's like critical point like he 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 did go in with like ambitions but as far as for the movie itself like he wasn't going to make an apologetic musical he wasn't going to make a mu- musical that's apologizing for being what it is that's trying to couch its musicalness in some like ironic modern sensibility it's going to be a straight up movie musical. And I'm going to spillberg the hell out of it. And I think that I admire that, you know, it's like, that's a choice and he just did it and doubled down on it. And wasn't ashamed of it. And uh, I think that is the best. If you're trying to remake a classic 1961 movie musical that already won the Academy award, which like nobody really should do <laughs> like just, you know, I appreciate the almost like earnestness with which he went about it there is no there's no pretense there's no apologizing it's just i love this thing i want to put my spin on it and and remake it for a new audience and that's that and 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 i appreciate the simplicity of of what he did here nice yeah
1: the simplicity of the approach not the simplicity right
3: no the execution was probably very 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 very, very difficult (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah, the simplicity of of the experience that we get out of it. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not I'm not confronted with I mean the worst thing about this would be if there was any kind of wink winkiness or oh, yeah. irony or meta-ness about it. it's like no, don't even go there. Just let's just let it
2: be what it is.
0: Nice. Yep. Cool. Okay. Brian, what's your lesson?
2: So my lesson is about uh the about tension. Um, and I, my lesson is actually from me being in Romeo and Juliet when I was in college. Um, and it was just a really cool thing that happened where, uh, it, it was a show with both graduates and undergraduates and we all knew the graduates were getting all the big roles, right? So the undergraduates were like, look, we're just here to, to maybe throw some swords around and, and, you know, have a couple lines, um, and I was cast as Abram, who's one of the Montague boys, the one who famously says, Do you bite your thumb at me, sir? And I said, Okay, I get a couple of lines, great. And then the director said, Well, what I'm doing is or I'm gonna have the Montague boys Um, you know, and Baz Luhrmann, the boys, the boys. Uh, so it's like, there's going to be Mercutio and Benvolio and Romeo, but then there's also going to be, I think there were maybe six of us at most who are there in a lot of the scenes and, you know, Mercutio has someone to kind of joke at and they're there to be in the rumbles and, you know, we're going to kind of be not glorified extras, but you know, you're there to sort of, to, to round out the scenes. And I thought, okay, great. That sounds fun. And then he's like, but for you, Brian, I'm putting you in every scene with with Romeo and Benvolio uh, and and often Mercutio. He's like, so you are going to be the kind of, you know, not the head Montague boy, but the sort of like the focal, the focal one. And he said, basically, I want to constantly remind the audience that that something could go down at any moment so basically my role was to show up and be their bodyguard i don't know why they cast me as as the bodyguard um (laughs) but uh but basically to show up and like get up on a perch that was on the stage and just look around right and just watch out for trouble so that way romeo and benvolio can have their fun little scene and mercutio can can you know smack romeo on the butt or whatever but then if you look at me you're like oh right there's there's Capulets out there and they could attack at any moment. Um, and sometimes I would interact or I'd have like a line or whatever, but for the most part, like that was the function. And, and the director said, you know, this is not, uh, people say Romeo and Juliet's a love story. He said, no, it's not. It's a story about hate. It's a story about hate and what hate can do. And obviously that's why it's a tragedy. That's, you know, um, that that is the ultimate downfall of these characters. And he said, so I just want to constantly be reminding the audience that like, this is a, bad world that these characters live in and things are always th- things could go down at any moment and i and i thought it was such a cool choice not just cuz i got to be on stage a lot but because it was like such a cool choice to say i'm just going to put a character with no lines here to remind the audience of something so west side story obviously being an adaptation of of romeo and juliet i was noticing that both in The script and in the direction, there is just this constant reminder, right? That like there is a rumble is coming. There's going to be jets there at at this place. There's going to be, this thing is going to happen. We have to watch out. You're just constantly reminded that that's what this world is right from the first scene. But even when we're kind of having fun, in you know, other numbers, there's always this, this thing in the back of your head going, something's going to go down. Uh, I think famously do the right thing is maybe the best movie ever to just constantly be telling you like any moment thing, things are going to go down, but you don't know whether it's going to happen in an hour or in two seconds, you know? Um, and I just think that's, that's really great for especially a movie like this, which is just about this boiling tension. Cause even when you're even when you're sort of distracted by this exposition scene or this musical number, you are remembering why we're here and that there is like a sort of there is a dramatic question just simmering at the surface.
0: Yeah, it's cool. You you basically got to be like a symbol that like mm. represented a thing, but like
2: I, I I've often been called a symbol. <laughs> I, yeah, pedestal, was the, uh, I was. I bet you gave an yeah. amazing
1: delivery of your line. Do you bite your thumb at me, sir? Though.
2: It, well, it was actually at us because there was another Montague boy at <laughs> uh, my side, okay. <laughs> and then and wow, then I didn't Michael, have a sword.
1: How dare you But try. I had a
2: bucket, and I got to with. like hit people with bucket with a bucket that was sitting there because we had painted a bad word and Montague or, or sorry and cap somebody anyway. It was a bucket. <laughs> it <was> great. <laughs> was trying
0: to get you to do the bite. The... All right, we'll let you go, Trisha What's your lesson from West Side Story?
1: So I just really appreciated that this movie is committed to doing little character moments for all of the characters, basically, where if you look at and and really great big musicals do this, where, you know, there's there are little moments for the ensemble basically for every member of the ensemble to distinguish themselves and not just in meaningless ways either i think that there are a few moments here that really stood out to me one was graziella this time and in the dance sequence where graziella kicks the sharks it's a really interesting little moment so like you know they're they're in that big gym and they're dancing and Graziella by the way is the blonde that Riff is going out with that Tony used to be going out with. She's wearing a blue dress in the dance sequence at the gym. And they're doing kind of like a sparring dance back and forth, the jets and the sharks. And there's a moment where Riff and Bernardo bump into each other. um, And it's going to like maybe turn into a thing. And then they, they kind of like ebb back and then like the, the sharks come, the jets kind of ebb backward and the sharks come up. Graziella takes matters into her own hands and she swings a kick right into the chest of two of the sharks in a way that I'm sure would hurt a lot because she has high heeled shoes on. And it's, also it's like a full like chest height kick. <laughs> it's just a really great character moment where it shows. It just tells us a lot about her, but it tells us a lot about the culture of like the jets and who they are and, like, who the people that associate themselves with Jets are. Um, and it's just a little character moment for Graziella. And she has a few others, you know, here and there. But it, the movie takes care to observe it. And there's other little moments with, with, like, Baby John comes to mind where, you know, we see Baby John get nailed in the ear early in the movie And more is made of his character, I think, often in, like, the Broadway musical and in the 61 version uh, than is made of him here in in this particular adaptation. But we see him in the Officer Krupke scene where he's, like, really worried about going to jail and he's, you know, Baby John is kind of, like, supposed to be the more innocent of the Jets. And there's a moment in the Officer Krupke scene where he, like, starts singing along where everyone else is kind of singing. And, like, again, the movie just takes care to like give these characters their little moments and more than any other of the supporting characters, um, even more than the 61 version or the Broadway show, this movie pays attention to anybody's and the moments for that character are so prominent here and invite us to consider the larger, like, again, the larger culture of the world and like what is going on socially that has created these Different gangs, and especially in the case of anybody's that has created the sharks, but has excluded certain kinds of people from being, you know, among them even when they want to be. And so I really appreciate that about this adaptation that this adaptation, the camera seems to find everybody, seems to notice everybody, seems to acknowledge everybody that's involved. And I mean, Anita is another amazing, I mean, the Anita character has always been maybe the best character in West Side Story.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm,
1: right. um, and that, that you know, is an incredible adaptation for the part that is essentially the nurse from Romeo and Juliet, right? right? Like, who is often <laughs> not uh, kindly looked on or cast. Both the text of the Broadway show, the 61 version, and this version give Anita so much dignity, so much agency, so many moments, and this movie more than any other adaptation. So the Anita character has always been incredible, but this movie spends so much time on her and validating her. And so when we get to the final, like, betrayal, I guess you could call it, or the final, you know, like, lie, right, that she ends up telling, there's, like, there's no condemnation from us. We're completely on Anita's side. Like, yes, Anita, lie. Like, do whatever you have to do. Say what you have whatever you have to say. And so I think that the I don't know, just the humanity that this version casts on like every single member of the ensemble. Um, and there's little moments sprinkled throughout. I'm sure I've missed a ton. Um and I would love to hear um from listeners about like the little moments that stood out to you about all the little, ca- all the little cast, like little things. Um, but this, this version is really, really good at finding little, little moments for every character.
0: Yeah. Also, the actor that played Anita, Ariana DeBose, Ariana DeBose, the bullet in Hamilton, among um, other things. Yes. But like my mother shared that with me before I watched it, and I couldn't help. But, like, every time she was on screen, I was like, but that's also the bullet. Like, she played the bullet. For some reason, that was, like, lodged in my brain.
1: Mm. Like
3: a bullet. Ooh. Anyway. I mean, I
0: mean,
3: she's amazing. She's
1: magnetic. She's incredible. Yeah.
3: Just, yes. like, yeah, she was watching her on screen in this amazing. movie, I'm just,
2: yeah, blown away.
1: You can't look away.
2: Also, OG Anita Rita Marino is here. Yes. Right. Which and is wonderful. And
1: still so magnetic. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome.
1: Michael.
0: My lesson is kind of just, uh, you know, I I always like pinpointing movies and things to study when learning about cinematic language. And I think this conversation has shown that musicals that I think are probably not often thought about as, uh, you know, important pillars of cinematic language to study actually have a lot to reveal about what is cinema and what uh it can be or should be or it might be or has been or any of those things um so yeah i feel like that my my lesson is just kind of like reminding myself of that and wanting to highlight that for aspiring filmmakers of like if you're not into musicals there's still something worth studying there and in trying to investigate why something doesn't work for you it can reveal a lot of really useful information about why, or maybe you find, you know, an example where oh, for some reason this one did work for me. Now I can contrast and compare, and so I think instead of shying away from things that you think are like not interesting or not for you, those are sometimes the best things to investigate because it can reveal a lot because it's a you know a, a dark area that you have yet to explore, and there can be great things lying in the dark shadows. Mm.
1: And if anyone needs musical recommendations. I have a lot for you. Yes. <laughs> well, the Get '60s musicals—the '60s musicals—are are, are really fascinating when you look at them, like sort of all together as an era of film history. I think they're really yeah. instructive.
3: Sound of Music oh. was one I did oh. watch over we and over again. We will talk about the
1: Sound of Music. We will. We must. That didn't really do it for me, but I'd be curious to
0: see it again.
3: Okay. <laughs>
1: okay. Well, and also we'll talk about Chicago
0: okay i want to do singing in the rain now also and sing in the also rain. a movie about yeah. movies while bi- like all of
2: them <laughs> let's yes. do all of them <laughs> also i played uh, i also played mayor shin in the music man Aww. in uh high school so, so that one man. has a, a dear place in my heart as does that character
0: mm-hmm. nice um awesome okay well quickly let's say what we've been watching alex what have you been watching recently
3: uh, I watched The Biggest Little Farm on Hulu, which Aww. is a documentary. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. My husband was saying the other day, he was like, everything we're watching is just so dark and so serious. Mm-hmm. And he's like something just light tonight. And and he saw this trailer and it's just literally a documentary about a couple in L.A. who start a farm like an hour outside of L.A. And their mission for the farm was to do it in a totally like environmentally, you know, like... Uh, integrated way with the habitat and to not use pesticides and to to have a diverse like range of plants they're growing that can kind of coexist with the local species which is very ambitious and it's a very stressful documentary in some ways because you watch them fail for years in all these different ways but it's also very heartwarming very gentle and kind and uh if you want just like good like soul food documentary uh biggest little farm is a delightful watch and probably the only reason they exist is because the uh the husband in this relationship uh happened to be like a nature documentary uh cinematographer um so he just like was shooting everything or had people shooting things and that's why we have a documentary about a farm but it, it is it is ultimately inspiring and very sweet and a good just comfort
2: food documentary
0: nice Cool. okay Brian what have you been watching
2: uh, I watched after yang which is Ooh. the yeah mm-hmm. the new a24 movie uh new as in just came out um this month and it's a futuristic drama about a family who is reasonably happy until their son shuts down and Colin Farrell has to take him to get repaired because they bought him and it's really interesting it's like on the surface it's nothing you haven't seen before if you've seen you know ai or or a lot of you know similar kind of movies but it doesn't feel like any of those it, it feels sort of at home in the a24 sci-fi family with ex machina and the lobster but it's a more optimistic film overall like it just has more of like almost a terrence malick feel to it of very art house very slow burn we're ju- we are just going to kind of sit with some characters and sometimes we're going to like hear a line of dialogue twice because that's what the movie wants you to feel you know um and sometimes we're just going to cut to some imagery and it like it all sounds like that all sounds kind of pretentious but it's very inviting it's very warm and inviting it, n- it never felt to me like a movie that was pushing me away by trying to be art housey or anything it just felt like this kind of tone poem but set in you know uh, set in the future with uh, colin farrell's there and uh, jody <laughs> uh turner smith plays the mother uh, and she's great and then there's some other some other actors you'll uh you'll recognize cliff collins is in it for a couple scenes and, and that kind of stuff but um but yeah after yang check it out
1: nice
0: awesome very cool. Okay, and Trisha. What about you?
1: Well, so I have been watching Station Eleven, which I know Alex recommended uh, a few weeks ago on this podcast, and I'm really, really liking. I'm like about yes. midway through, so I can't wait to talk to you about it, Alex. Nice. Um, I'm glad you like it. Yeah. No, I, it's fascinating. <laughs> like, whew. anyway, yeah. It's it's unconventionally structured for a that's for sure <laughs> is the way i'm gonna put that really really interesting um but i i recently went through a sort of a dark night of the soul where i was very sick for <laughs> very 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 sick for 24 hours and i was just watching mm-hmm. um like rom-coms basically the whole time and one of the ones that really stood out to me that i hadn't seen was about time
2: yeah which is a I lovely love
1: it's a lovely little movie it's rachel mcadams it's domino gleason it's Great. Richard
2: Curtis who wrote love actually yeah. and Bridget Jones Nigh- not like, yeah.
1: yes what a lovely <laughs> little movie anyway um, you know it's I love a good high concept thing that is not interested in its high concept thing in any way like <laughs> is how I would describe this movie it's like a movie about time travel but it's in no way interested in time travel like the time travel is like explored and totally solved and resolved within like a couple of minutes and the rest of it is just like anyway here's a love story <laughs> don't worry about time travel um, and, and you know it of course does delve a little bit into you know some implications of what you might lose if you, like, went back to do things over, right? Like, maybe things happen the way that they're meant to, and there's sort of, like, a thematic conversation happening there. But it's also just, like, a really adorable love story. Um, Anyway, it was exactly what I needed. I had the stomach flu, so... <laughs> that is the
3: worst uh,
1: well and i was watching clue. station 11 at the time and i was like i have to stop <laughs> yeah. which is about like a disease apocalypse
2: You're I right like, I, can't,
1: yeah. I have to stop watching station 11 and i have to watch something nice now and so it was kind of the perfect shift and i watched a few other other rom-coms as well because i was uh very very ill for <laughs> a whole day and change but anyway um yeah if you haven't seen about time for some reason i do recommend it it's it's a very nice um yeah i feel like it's the kind of movie that i haven't seen recently like a little high concept but but just very um bittersweet sort of poignant and, but overall very lovely love story
0: I feel like i was randomly thinking about it recently have you seen it a, i haven't but I was, I was like it's one of those movies that i feel like i'm always i should see that and then i never actually do i, so I can see it. the poster
3: it's in my mind very memorable poster <laughs> yeah. right
2: and mm. i feel like I've seen it is a very
0: memorable poster the trailer and scenes from it but like not the movie
2: I, I was actually talking with some friends about it just a couple of days ago, and one of them was like, I didn't know what I was going in, in for. I wasn't expecting for it to, like, make me cry. Yeah. And I went with two of my, my two friends who I watch Love Actually with every year. Oh, okay. Wow. And when we went and saw it, <laughs> so we just sat down in the seats. We're like, you guys ready to cry? <laughs> like, we know exactly what we're getting into. Yep. F Yeah. <laughs> uh, but well, not in
1: like a not in like a really tragic way, in just like a life is beautiful kind of way, yeah,
3: just that's if you what makes me cry usually yeah. bittersweet,
0: yeah, speaking of crying,
1: I want oh to briefly
0: report that I finished the good place, and as you warned oh, me, Tricia, yes. that finale does not play around, mm. it was emotional, it was kind of just like, can I get through this without like breaking down into sobbing very, very, very barely. Yes, uh, but it was like a a very difficult and moving, wonderful uh, finale. So The Good Place, amazing. I was crying. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, looking back, yeah. Uh, Anyway, so that was great. Uh, But also something that I recently saw that you guys have also recently seen is The Batman, which is going to be our patron exclusive episode for this month. As we're recording this, we haven't recorded that episode yet, so I don't know if it's out exactly yet, but by the end of March it will be out. So if you want to hear all of our thoughts on the latest entry into the Batman universe <laughs> the franchise Batman. saga, I don't know exactly what it is. The, um, Batman. the Batman, the Batman, yes. Uh,
2: that be will be followed by the on... Batman Returns, the Batman Forever, and the Batman <laughs> the Robin.
0: <laughs> the Batman Begins, can you just continue? Yeah, just keep going. <laughs> And then you just take off For the, Batman, the, the, like the dark, dark night. night. Yeah. <laughs> then then, then <laughs> just dark the, night. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so yes, if you want to hear all of our thoughts on the Batman, that will be over on our Patreon uh, by the end of this month, being March of 2022. This has been our conversation about West Side Story. I need to go check in with my mom. I like. I really want to because she was a huge fan of this movie. She saw it in theaters when she was 15. She was wow. obsessed Aww. with it. Uh, and she was really excited for this version. And I don't want to speak for her, but I will signal that she was not super into it. Uh, but I wonder if our conversation has like reframed things and if she's revisited. So that's what I'm. I, I want to check in with her as soon as she's listened to this, and maybe I'll report
1: back. Yeah, please but. do. I'd love to hear what she thinks.
0: There is the, the like, the kind of weird nostalgia thing, like we were talking about, is this this remake that feels like it's been long enough uh, because it has been a long time now. And so, like, we are not the audience that is being targeted by the, like, right. remember that thing you know? This is for you. We repackaged it. It's, like, an extra generation past. And we haven't had one of those for a while, so... Is
2: interesting. Get ready for Casablanca or whatever the horrible remake we end no. up with as a result yeah. of no. right no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh
0: Yeah uh, can't let that happen <laughs> <laughs> um but yes uh thank you to our patrons for supporting the show and making it possible thank you to our producer Vince major i'm michael tucker i've been joined today by trisha rand brian bittner and alex Coyotas. all of our twitter handles are in the show notes send us a tweet say hi ask trisha for musical recommendations
1: or just talk will... to me about or musicals. just talk to her <laughs> yeah.
0: and we will see you guys in the next episode
1: bye everybody
2: Bye-bye. Bye, bye bye